Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3, joined as usual on this Thursday afternoon by finance presenter JP Ong. Now, across the region, it's been a little bit down, but is the SDI still above 3,200? Not just above 3,200. There's some ample room, at least, between where the the current level and that psychological threshold of 3,200. We're at 3,216.5 points. Um, And uh, there's no panic sell-off at the moment. But uh, you could say that the SDI went in for a a close shave today, Mm -hmm. down by about 7 points. That's a 0.2% decline at the moment. And about 573.5 million Singapore dollars in total value turnover. So this sentiment is uh, clearly with some of the ones who want to sell or at least just pare back some of their positions at the moment. The same can be said across the region. And except for the ASX 200, which is up by 0.2%, most of the major markets in the region, oh, the cost be also flat so far today. They're up by about half a point. But now they've also swung them back down. They've wiped out those meager gains. Mm -hmm. So a little bit testy, a little bit delicate for markets across the Asia-Pacific. But again, also no harrowing sell-offs at the moment. Perhaps the biggest ones right now out in Shanghai, down by about 0.7%. But again, it's not a, you know, it's a, you could say that's just a generous trim for the folks out in Shanghai. Shenzhen also down by about 0.6%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan just uh, losing about 44 points. That's a 0.2% decline. So, and the Hang Seng also down by just about, uh, by about 0.4%. They're holding on to their psychological level of 27,000, well, 27,716. So they've got a lot of room there actually to run. But I think well, well, well the, you're see, really seeing that uh, market sentiment across the region is really being is being more closely correlated to whether or not the rate of new cases for the for COVID nineteen as we're calling it now the COVID nineteen mm-hmm. coronavirus whether or not it's actually slowing down. We saw signs of that the other day when they said that the number of new cases from China was at the lowest uh, daily new cases was at the lowest since January thirty. Right. Well. This is what Not happens. Not the case today. Not the case today. And this is what happens when you start to change your methodology. And by the way, this happens a lot with Chinese data. Their methodology does change every so often. They do revise them. And it's being said that uh, China is now recognizing CT scan results as confirmation of infections. So when they can run people through CT scans and they see that there is a there are signs of the novel coronavirus, then they can isolate patients more quickly. I think one the first thought in my mind was, wow, the province of Hubei has that many CAT scans or CT scan machines out there. The second thing is that using this new methodology, the number of new cases has soared by about 14,841,4840. That's a daily record, and that's the total now. The total number of cases now is at about 48,206. I do want to pull up a uh, a, a graphic, uh, or I just want to refer to a graphic that I saw actually on the South China Morning Post. They have this, uh, they are able to track the number of uh, cases and deaths at the moment. In mainland China at the moment, there are 59,539 cases. Mm Mm-hmm. 1,361 deaths. Across the entire world, there are 60,107 cases, 50 of them here in Singapore, 1,363 deaths. So you're seeing that a lot of it, you can see the lion's share really is is centered in mainland China, perhaps because of some of the quarantine and uh, lockdown measures that they've enacted. They've kept the spread within the mainland and Hubei province. But if uh, you're looking for any good news in these numbers, um, here's one. And I think it's something that uh, needs to be also highlighted. 
there, out of those 60,100 cases, the 107 cases that we've seen so far, 5,680 have been reported to have been cured or recovered. This right. all statistics also, by the way, from China's NHC state media and the National Health Commission out there. So um, that is a, what is that, a 1 in 12, uh, one in 12 cases of recovery at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, uh, the death toll right now, 1,300, that's less than... My, my math it's is budget though. It's less. It's less than one. Per, uh, yeah, it's less than two percent at the moment. So, um, call it what you will. But the, at least these statistics, you can balance it out. That uh, it, when you take these statistics in aggregate, yes, there are a lot of deaths. Yes, there are a l- lot of new cases now. Mm-hmm. But uh, there is hope at least because the number for recoveries, at least with re- number of cases that of uh, cases of patients recovering. Still at about uh, you know it's it's still it's at it's at about one in uh, one in twelve at, at least right now so right. you know it's uh, encouraging nonetheless but but you can look at it the flip side that maybe there really are more cases out there than we think because of the new methodology that's been employed um, maybe there might be more cases out there than we think and maybe we are still a ways away from seeing a peak in the in the rate of spread so if that is the case we might be in this holding pattern for a little bit longer and markets again showing just a little bit of angst but nobody's really hitting the panic button they're just pulling back some of their expectations and maybe just allowing for one or two beads of sweat to run down their foreheads at the moment well i've spoken to a couple of analysts in the last couple of days and one one of the central themes that seems to be emerging and i'm sure you're hearing this as well is first of all we can't really look at sars as any kind of a template moving forward. And second of all, that there just will be more market volatility depending on the day and the news that's coming out. Well, it, well let's balance that out, right? I think uh, SARS gives us a, a bit of an idea of what to do, mm-hmm. a rule of thumb maybe, a, a guidebook to go by. But as many uh, analysts in the market have pointed out with anything, past performance or past uh, experiences sure. do, do, are not a perfect or, or, or a comprehensive predictor of what's going to happen in the future. Sure. Because, yes, they're both uh, similar. They're both coronaviruses. They share very similar characteristics, but they're also both different. The rate of spread is also different because of the increased amount of uh, international and intranational travel also, which could accelerate the spread. So, yes, they, they're absolutely right about that. And uh, I think the second point is also correct. Uh, even folks at the National Health, uh, at the World Health Organization have said that it's too early to call right now when this thing is actually going to peak because we might say it's a, it, it might peak and it might uh, start to really decline and and, uh, and be under control by April. Mm-hmm. But nobody really knows because as we saw right now, there are 14,600 more cases than we actually thought coming right. out of mainland China. All we can hope for is that we control or at least try to uh, try to isolate some of these cases and further prevent the spread. You just have to keep on employing some of these some of these uh, measures, but uh, not very encouraging to hear that, wow, there's actually more cases than we thought out in mainland China, all because they tweaked the methodology, which might also have been for the better. I mean, it's better we know some of these some of this information now than, uh, say, when it might, might be a little bit more grave. Right. Um, but that might be why the market took a, a little step backwards mm-hmm. today. Yes. On the back of that news. Uh, yes, I think, I think so. I think people are just recalibrating recalibrating and uh, you're seeing again this correlation that if there is a higher uh, number of cases mm-hmm. or the rate of ca- or the the growth rate of of new cases starts to pick up then you see the markets uh, inversely react to that if you start to see it come down or signs of that come down it does encourage market sentiment to come back in and perhaps bolster some of those hopes that we saw earlier this week that hey maybe this thing is starting to get a bit, come under control 
But today we've seen just how delicate that sentiment or that hope is. Which leads to that volatility that uh, some of them are mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. that we should expect in the yeah. next few days and weeks. And, you know, and again, there's, there's so many. There's, uh, the perfect anecdote of that is just last week's trading. Mm-hmm. We saw that. I called it the, uh, the, the, the sandwich, right? right? Three days of very strong gains because of hope and optimism that, oh, maybe the damage isn't as bad as we thought. Maybe our, the world's economies will actually rebound. But Monday saw big losses because of Chinese markets coming back and uh, mainly Chinese markets coming back and selling off in a big fashion. And Friday saw another big, uh, so, I mean, well, not big, but significant losses, at least from sure. markets across Asia Pacific. There is your casebook example of just how markets can go any which way at the moment. And you're seeing something similar happening this week also. We just came off two strong days mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of uh, gains just last Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, the only difference is that last Thursday we were in the green. This Thursday we're slightly in the red. Right. Well, you know, that, that harkens back to what I said my old, old trainer told me all that time ago. In volatility, if someone's losing money, somebody's yeah. making it. Oh, no, no. I mean, these are these are per- <laughs> great times for traders to actually come in and uh, take opportunities. With which is why, <laughs> Which is why you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, bolder traders come in and say, well, maybe we're at a dip. Maybe we can find some of these mm-hmm. bargain opportunities because uh, people are selling off. But some analysts have actually cautioned uh, the folks at Citigroup, for instance. Some of their chief equity strategists in the U.S. have cautioned that it's too early to call when this dip is because a lot of things are changing. Sure. And when if everybody is calling them up saying, hey, is this a time to buy a dip? Actually, one of their chief equity strategists was saying that's one of the most uh, troubling things he's heard in the last couple of weeks, that everybody's so focused on buying this dip. Because the uh, there is a danger that we might be underestimating the impact of this uh, of uh, of the novel coronavirus or and COVID-19. if that is the case, that's more volatility for you right there. There you go. But that said, um, the fact that we're only down by about uh, seven eight points at the moment, mm-hmm. we've still got some cushion above thirty two hundred. We haven't seen. We're just seeing uh, seeing them take a very close shave and not a big uh, sell off at the mm-hmm. moment here. Um, not exactly the knee jerk volatility that uh, we were hoping for. So perhaps markets just a bit more sensible in their cautiousness today. All right. Yesterday, DBS had a little bit of a scare. Oh, uh, everybody had to again. go home because there was a, a COVID-19 confirmation from one of their staff. However, today, DBS Q4 net profit up 14%. That is correct. It's so a bit of good news for them. Quite good news, actually, and very close to what analysts were expecting. So they're, they're, they're close to the targets, or at least what the markets were expecting from DBS. And again, another solid quarter for DBS. Um, just to look at their share price today, they are the most heavily traded offer. Again, surprise, surprise. But uh, they are trading about a quarter percent higher, six cents in the green, at twenty-five dollars and forty-eight cents a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a measured gain for DBS, and just a very light pat on the back for this growth in their fourth quarter net income. And uh, they they have indicated that uh, there was a uh, the, it's a fourteen percent net bo- boost in net income. Their bottom line pretty much uh, recorded one and a half, just over one and a half billion Singapore dollars in the fourth quarter, with a just annualized earnings per share coming in at about two dollars and thirty-one cents. That's roughly about fifteen percent up, give or take, for their earnings per share. They did note that net interest margins actually came down just a little bit by about four basis points, not a lot, and also not surprising sure. because we are seeing a lot of these uh, interest rates and policy. Monetary policymakers start to lower interest rates, which is what many banks are questioning at the moment, not just here in Singapore, but across the world. The banks in Europe have been pretty much bemoaning the negative rate environment that they have there. 
Now, even here in Singapore, they have noted that you know rates have come down quite a bit, so it's a little more difficult to make money off of your net interest and off of your loans. But they did note also, again, no surprise, your net fee incomes for uh, for D- DBS grew by 17% and almost half of their net income this year or their bottom line came from net fee income. So this has to come from the wealth management, investment banking fees that they saw, and other non-interest income rising by 5%. So it's a very strong, I'd say solid report card from uh, Southeast Asia's largest bank. Right Now, of course, the big question everybody in everybody's mind is, well, there you had that one case of uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. hit one of your employees. You had to send 300 employees home right. and, and put them on work. I don't know if they're still on, uh, on, on a work from home order at the moment. I wouldn't blame them if they are. But what is the impact? Well, Piyush Gupta, the CEO of uh, DBS, has said that uh, there could be an impact on the revenues. But if uh, if the COVID, if COVID-19 uh, does linger, it could impact the revenues at the moment by about 1% to 2%. Right. So you're seeing a decline in revenues, but 1% to 2%... Um, I think I will have to ask uh, some of the banking analysts whether this is something they can recoup later on, whether it's something they can manage. Because one to two percent, you know, for someone outside looking in, I might say that okay, that's that's a shave, but maybe it's manageable for a bank as experienced as DBS, and maybe sure. it's not as big uh, a howler as what some uh, analysts were expecting. You've got DBS, and maybe that's also why DBS is a bit cautious, but still in the green, nevertheless. All right, not such good news uh, for Singtel's Q3. Double-digit uh, drop in uh, profits. Well, at least they made profits, right? Unlike, <laughs> unlike no, I, I, I'm not saying this to uh, to throw shade at Singtel because they did record their first quarterly loss in history mm-hmm. in uh, last year, in the previous period, right? They did make about six hundred twenty-seven point two million Singapore dollars in net profit for their fiscal third quarter, which is that's definitely not a loss. But that does represent a near 24% decline on a year-on-year basis. And they blame this on mainly weaker enterprise performance and the final settlement of a gain on the Airtel Africa pre-public offering investment also. And also lower exceptional gains when compared to the previous year. So they're coming off of a high base in terms of some of those one-time gains. They did report that operating revenues, though, came down by about 5% to just less than just under $4.4 billion Singapore dollars. And they've highlighted increased competition in its enterprise business in in Australia, uh, uh, which has been hitting their affiliate um, um, Optus. Uh, there was a very interesting piece in the Business Times today that highlighted just how important um, Singtel's affiliates are. So on one hand, and this is a very interesting case because on one hand, you might argue that uh, a company the size of Singtel might be more diversified. If they have, uh, if they're in some of these faster-growing regional markets like India, the Philippines, Indonesia, let's let's count Australia there as well, right? Sure. Because of their operations, but we have seen them take on certain hits and regulatory headwinds. The reason they saw that quarterly loss in the the the, the period prior was because of those huge fines that were levied against Barty Airtel, mm. amounting almost in the in in the billions of dollars. We they had that scare with AIS, their Thai subsidiary or affiliate where they were also required to uh, pay certain fees in lost or in unrecognized revenue to TOT in in Thailand. But they did win an arbitration against that. They did win an appeal against that, and they don't have to pay that for now unless TOT appeals. Right. 
Um, they've pointed out that this is uh, it shows just how important some of these uh, some of these regional associates will be for Singtel and 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 their and their figures, and we'll have to watch out for how that plays out for them. Um, one thing to note, though, that it's it's not all doom and gloom for their at- affiliates. I'll I'll just point out one in particular, and this is from my country, the Philippines. Globe Telecom um, did post that their fourth quarter revenue, uh, fourth quarter profits last year jumped by about twenty percent in mobile service uh, and mobile revenue. Uh, mobile usage out there actually growing even more. So it's not like er- that everybody's a problem child in terms of mm-hmm. Singtel's uh, regional affiliates or children. But it's it, but the more the the further Singtel develops, the more important some of these re- regional affiliates become. And you might even argue that their overall performance might be even as important, if not more important, than how they do here in their home court of Singapore. Well, that will be very interesting to watch, and I'm sure you'll keep your eyes mm-hmm. on that. This has been a market view on Workday Afternoon with J.P. Yong. I'm Teresa Montero. J.P. will be back on primetime from 4 p.m. to give you the very latest movements and updates as they come in on Singapore's most influential radio station. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.